Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, well, look, I'm coming to you from Doha, so it is all about the World Cup. It is upon us. It is days away. We're going to give you a real quick uh, and brief type of synopsis of uh, the first four groups. And then later on uh, this week, we're going to give you the next four groups. So that will be, uh, I think, interesting uh, to look at the uh, the teams and the groups and how we see them shaping out when this thing kicks off here in a few days. Uh, my friend uh, David Mossy is back in Los Angeles right now. Uh, I'm sure he'll tell us what he is watching. I am in the midst of watching some things, but I'll tell you what, it's been a lot of work uh, over here. Good work, wonderful work, and already some incredible experiences. Um but first, as I mentioned, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this? What for me is the morning of Monday, November 14th in the year 2022. I am doing well. I am still back in Los Angeles where it is pretty cold. Uh, so I'm actually looking forward to getting out there where I presume the weather is uh, nice and warm. Yes. Uh, you know, I landed a few days ago. Uh, Stuart and I, Stu uh, Holden and I took off and it is hot. It is not unbearable type of hot and certainly not having been here in the uh, summer, even close to that. And as a matter of fact, once the sun goes down, it becomes incredibly pleasant. I, I, it's, it's akin to Miami. Now, there is some humidity. Uh, I was told that last week it was much nicer uh, in terms of the, the lower humidity. So that will come and go. But as I said, the evenings are good, I think, from a playing perspective, um, whether it's the climate control that is happening in the stadiums or just the fact that, like I said, it's just not as hot. And certainly when the sun goes down, um, it's going to be pristine. Uh, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a redhead in the desert, so I'm, I am sweating and going through some, uh, some different things here. So I'm trying to breathe through the nose and namaste everything in terms of not sweating too much. But yeah, uh, so you leave tonight, right, Masi, or this afternoon? I do, yeah. A 3 p.m. flight out of LAX. So I'm actually, as soon as we're done taping, I'm going to kill some time here uh, at Pico, Fox Studios, and then head to the airport. Now, when you fly, and obviously this is a, a long flight, do you, are you one of those that downloads stuff specifically to watch, or do you just rely on whatever carrier, uh, in this case, I'm assuming it's Qatar Air, uh, to provide the in-flight entertainment for you? I rely on the airlines pre-flight entertainment. However, I did purchase a book on the history of Qatar, so I'm going to do some reading on my way there. I'd like to familiarize myself with a country before I arrive. So, and, and it's a long flight, so I think I'll be able to read the entire book uh, <laughs> before I arrive. Yeah, 16 hours. Um, and so there was plenty of time for you to do everything, including get a, a full night's sleep and read and watch uh, everything, uh, everything that you want. Um, I am not watching so much, as I said, uh, although I did start and I'm sort of in the middle. I know I don't like to talk about things before they're done, but this is this is a starting and end, although I'm in the middle of it. So I'll give you the final synopsis when we get to the final episode of the um, the new FIFA documentary, which is on Netflix, obviously apropos to everything that is going on. And it's it's already very interesting in terms of the history that it gives of the power of FIFA, how that power came to coalesce, uh, obviously the individuals that were involved, both you know the good parts and the bad parts going through all of this. And then it's uh, going to culminate here in, uh, in what's going on in Qatar. But it's a nice little primer and background if you get a chance uh, to watch that. And a lot of people that you might recognize or know from, uh, from CONCACAF and U.S. soccer, and then obviously the extended 
FIFA for community that is, has existed and exists now. So that's an interesting one. Uh, you ready to light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to start this, uh, this section off with some group previews, and we're going to do A through D. And then our E through H preview is going to be on Thursday. And we are also going to have our pods pick, which is going to come out on uh, November 20th. And that is all of, I'm sorry, our picks for our pod, which is all of our prognostications. We're going we're gonna to put it in concrete, if you will. When I say concrete, I mean digital concrete here, so that everybody understands that this is who is winning, this is who is not, not winning, this is who is scoring, this is who is assisting, this is who is saving. And then when the World Cup is over, we can look back at our ridiculous picks uh, going forward. So look forward to all that. But anyway, we're going to kick it off here with a look at uh, A through D. All right, so we're going to start with A, Mossy, as we know. Hosts Qatar, uh, Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. Let's start off with Qatar. We've talked a little bit about them, and we have seen them over the last couple of years for good reason, because this is a team that obviously is not qualifying, and so therefore they've had to go out there and to find games to play. Good part is they all play in the same country. They are all available at the same time, and they have all kind of bred this familiarity from playing multiple, multiple games all over the world in this effort to go out and get experience. Having said all of that, I don't think that there's anybody that had, you know, uh, regardless if they were host or not, that I haven't found anybody yet that is picking Qatar to be one of the two teams to come out of this group. And so I think this may be a bridge too far. We've talked about Akrama Fief and the talent that they have, al Ali and these types of uh, players that, like we said, we have seen in the Gold Cup and we have seen now leading up to this. But it's not an easy group for them. Uh, and, you know, as I said, this is still an emerging type of country. So uh, in general, Masi, thoughts on uh, Qatar? Uh, we got to look at them at last year's Gold Cup, and they were very frisky. I came out of that tournament talking myself into them being a dangerous team at this World Cup, and then we watched them again later in the year at, in the Arab Cup, and they were much worse. And and then you look at some of their uh, pre-tournament friendlies and the results in those games, and my enthusiasm has really waned. I now think this is closer to a South Africa 2010 situation than, let's say, South Korea 2002 or even Russia 2018 when Russia got to the quarterfinals. Um, South Africa 2010, the only host nation ever eliminated in the opening round. And I think there's a very good chance for Qatar to become the second. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some similarities to the U.S. back in 94. Uh, obviously, we spent two years traveling around the world and getting as much experience as we possibly can. And I don't think it's any coincidence that someone like Bora Milutinovic is now working for uh, the Qataris here in preparing them. Uh, we were a little further along the way, uh, I think, than, uh, than Qatar. Uh, you know, Felix Sanchez, the uh, the coach, a uh, you know a Spaniard, has kind of grown up within this system, and they talk all the time. By the way, Mossy, about this Aspire Academy that they have, and a lot of the players actually have come through that. And so, the development and the infrastructure that they have had, and the resources that have been put in, put into this team, are you know now legendary, and they are hoping to see the fruits of that labor up here in terms of hosting it. But as I said, I just think. They probably needed a little bit more time for this to uh, to come to fruition. Um, anything else uh, Qatar-wise, Mossy? No, you mentioned it. Uh, I do love Akram Afif, so he's a player I'm excited to watch. And Almoez Ali, 
is the sort of striker that needs a few chances to bang in a goal. He's not the most clinical, but his goal scoring numbers are impressive. So they do have two players to keep an eye on for sure. And, and look, don't underestimate, and we have seen this time and time again, even last World Cup uh, at Russia, of you know, the power and the influence of a World Cup and hosting a World Cup and the energy that comes from your countrymen and women being behind you, and even many that were never there before. Uh, I've already been on the streets and talked to some people. They are very, very excited, not just about the World Cup, but about cheering for their team. That, that can only get you so far, but... I, I am absolutely interested to see how much of that power penetrates and how much of it can drive and kind of cover up some of those cracks that we're, uh, that we're talking about when it comes to this Qatar team. All right. Uh, Sunday, Qatar kicks off the tournament, the only game on Sunday. You can check it out on FS1 uh, against Ecuador. So let's go to Ecuador uh, first, uh, Mossy, here, because they are, will be the, uh, the opponents for that first game. And remember, this is a game that got moved back very late in the game. Originally, all f- uh, four teams were scheduled to play their group stage matches on Monday. And then <laughs> the powers that be said, well, why don't we have a full day to celebrate Qatar and this Qatar team? And like that, with a snap, uh, it became so. And so it's happening on Sunday. Ecuador, uh, Mossy, uh, this is a Good team, potentially a great team, and tell me if you dis- disagree, but this is a team for 2026 in so many different ways. Uh, incredible youth uh, movement when it comes to the talent that they uh, that they have. There was a reboot after 2018 and uh, Alfaro, the coach, uh, taking over in 2020. This is a team uh, that is the youngest team qualifying out of, uh, of Comnibol. And as I said, this is a team that I think is going to use this experience in 2022 to come back incredibly strong in 2026, where this generation now that is being bedded in um, is, is going to come to fruition. And again, we talk so much about development in the U.S. Ecuador has really done a good job of identifying talent and bringing them along and nurturing them and giving them the talent. And that is and, and it's not that they haven't done it before, but I think a lot of people are looking to it right now as to this young generation that is coming up with Ecuador, but not quite ready when it comes to prime time here in uh, Qatar. Uh, it's interesting. As of this taping, Ecuador is the only one of the 32 teams that has not announced its squad yet. So I'm going to mention some players that I presume will be on the list, but if they're not, uh, my apologies. Um, uh, they have... I think one of the best young players in the world in Moises Caicedo. I am so excited to watch him at this World Cup. He's the sort of player that if he was Brazilian or Argentine, he'd already be looked up at as a 100 million euro player and be playing for one of the biggest clubs in Europe. Uh, Gonzalo Plata, also exciting to watch. Ener Valencia, veteran striker to keep an eye on. And this is a team that has a real MLS flavor to it. I expect to see in their squad guys like Diego Palacios and Jose Cifuentes, fresh off winning MLS Cup with LAFC. Also, Ariaga at the back. So, um, yeah, obviously very familiar with this team from following South American qualifying. That They are talented and dangerous. And so it's an interesting opening game opponent for Qatar, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and you go through this list and you go through these players and, the, you know, the 20-year-olds and uh, Incape and uh, Sarmiento and these types of players. Uh, Valencia, like you mentioned, 19 years old. It, it's uh, Estupinan, these types of players that are going to play. It's not as if they're just going along for the ride. They are going to play and they're going to have to play and they're going to you know, be, be blooded very, very quickly in terms of what the World Cup is. And that first game, again, 
we know how it's kind of sets you up for success in a uh, in a World Cup. If they come out of that first game and they beat not only not only they win their first game, but they beat Qatar, that would be something um, that uh, they could use to fuel for the next couple of games. And who knows, maybe get even uh, find a way out of the group. Um, okay, uh, Senegal. Let's get to Senegal here. And look, the big story when it comes to Senegal here and and, and the news right now is Sadio Mane and is he going to be okay for this World Cup. And I think it's it's simplistic to just say, as goes Sadeo Mane, uh, so goes Senegal. But he is a huge focal point. What he brings to the team, not just in terms of his play, but in terms of his leadership, but then just from a practical perspective, you know, the the speed and the width and the maturity and the ruthlessness that he uh, that he brings and he has shown time and time again with this Senegal team. They are a very different team without them. Doesn't mean they can't be competitive, but, you know, we'll see. And hopefully, fingers crossed, everything has worked because you want the best players playing in the World Cup. And he is certainly one of them. Well, the witch doctors are on the case, so we'll see if they can heal him up. <laughs> but yeah, it was a similar situation with Egypt and Mo Salah in the last World Cup. They brought him along even though he was carrying an injury. He wasn't able to do all that much. But yeah, when you're a country like Senegal and you have a player like Mane in a list of 26, it's worth it to take him and then try till the very last second to get him healthy enough to, to get on the field. So we'll see what happens there. There are some other names of note, obviously Mendy and Go, Koulibaly at the back. But yeah, for sure, Senegal was a trendy dark horse pick, not not to win the World Cup, but perhaps to go far. But a lot of that hinged on the presence of Mane. So uh, I agree with you. Uh, much will depend on whether he can get healthy enough to make an impact here. Yeah. And, the, and so some would argue that, you know, with without all the focus on Mane, which, they, you know, they predominantly go down his side on that left hand side, that it kind of opens up for everybody if he's not on the field. But that's I don't think that that's a good argument, even though everybody knows where you're going. I mean, the, the genius and the wonderful part about Asadio Mani is even though everybody can see it's going it's going to him, he still he, he still produces. And I think everybody would uh, would agree that without him, they are much less of a team. Um, doesn't mean also, by the way, that they're not getting out of the group in terms of uh, my pick. The final uh, uh, team in Group A, uh, the Netherlands. I think everybody would would agree that this is the elite team, and this is a nice draw for the Netherlands when they look around at their uh, at their group. This is a Netherlands team that I don't think is sneaky good because it's the Netherlands. They're just they're just good. However, you know these this bridesmaid type of thing or the not quite living up to billing of Netherlands. I, I am excited about this Netherlands team. I think they not only win this group, I think they go uh, they go far, uh, whether it's you know Memphis Depay and his incredible you know almost 50 percent goal ratio to games played and uh, and a whole host of other talent out there, including although he's not playing at his at his best by any stretch of the imagination, Virgil van Dyke. and so I think they have a good balance and they have a good spine uh, down the core of this team. I agree. Yeah. There's a debate to be had about whether a nation that's reached three World Cup finals and produced the sort of players the Netherlands have over the years count as a dark horse. But to the extent that they do, I think the Netherlands are one of the quote unquote dark horses to win this World Cup. They're playing with a lot of confidence, unbeaten in their last 15. Louis van Gaal doing a very good job. Remember, he led them to a third place finish in Brazil in 2014. And on top of the guys you mentioned, Memphis Depay up front, Virgil van Dijk at the back, there's some really good young talent, guys like Cody Gakpo and Kenneth Taylor and Xavi Simone. So, yeah, a lot of talent uh, in the squad. I like this team a lot. Yeah, and, you know, they they play with, I mean, they've always kind of played with a romance, but, you know, the romance is reflected in 
the risk that they take with high lines and space in the back and the risk reward that we're going to talk about when it comes to a lot of different teams. It's because it's just a fundamental decision that teams have to make when they play, uh, they play soccer. You know, in the Netherlands, they wear their heart on their sleeve and they say, we are going to press, we are going to uh, push up and we are going to expose ourselves to risk behind us with some of those center backs that, uh, that you were talking about. And this is also a theme uh, that I've found in this World Cup as to the the structure and the stability of back threes or back fours and how much confidence people have ultimately. Uh, I got Netherlands and, uh, and yeah, it's so hard without knowing whether Mane is going to play. If Mane's there, then I have met Netherlands and, uh, and Senegal. And like I said, Ecuador for 2026. But I might amend that to Netherlands and Ecuador. Who you got? Exact same thing as you. If Mane is healthy, then I would go Netherlands and Senegal. If he's not, I would consider then switching to Ecuador as being that other team. All right, let's uh, let's move on to Group B. As we know, uh, the group featuring the U.S., England, Iran, the United States, and Wales. Uh, we're not going to go over a whole lot when it comes to the U.S. because we have done individual shows. You can go back and uh, check out our roster drop special where we did a whole deep dive into what is going on with this team. And if you've listened to any for any you know, length of of time to the podcast, you will know the things that we uh, that we talk about. Well, let's start uh, with England, our friends England, who, you know, while I love to tweak them and <laughs> don't think for a second it doesn't, it wouldn't, you know, warm the cockles of my heart to see England lose to anybody, but especially to the U.S. This is still an elite team. This is still in the middle of a very talented generation. Having said that, I think we are also looking at a situation right now where that same old cynicism and criticism and um, and worry and angst has crept back into the English fan base as to whether Gareth Southgate has run out of ideas, whether he's too dogmatic in terms of what he does, and ultimately if he is the best person to get the most out of this undeniably talented uh, group right now. Is that a good synopsis, you think, uh, of England right now? Yeah, the thing that Southgate backers um, bring up is he's been very good in major tournaments, took him to the semifinals of the last World Cup and the final of the last Euro. So they're hoping that he can sort of recapture that magic. But obviously the Nations League we just covered was a disaster. So yeah, there are some question marks, particularly at the back with Harry Maguire and Stones and Eric Dyer. Uh, I think they'll probably play with three at the back with Kyle Walker, if he's fit, being part of that back three. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how he utilizes Alexander-Arnold, who did end up being in the squad, and we know how good he can be going forward, but also a liability the other way. So, yeah, the talent's there. You just got to find the right combinations. I do want to mention a couple of things. Um, uh, Tamori not being called up, again, just uh, reflects the, 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 the Premier League goggles that everybody in England exhibits that a player who's playing regularly for AC Milan and playing as well as he uh, has been, c- couldn't find his way into the squad. Um, and I also want to highlight Jaden Sancho, who is a player I've, I was his biggest fan. We covered him in the Bundesliga. Uh, I thought at one point he was in the Mbappe bracket as far as best young players coming up. And it's just been a remarkable fall from grace and it culminated with him not even being in this 26-player squad. So yeah, I mean, that was pretty shocking. But I mean, shocking given what I once thought of him, but not that surprising at the time because of the way his career's gone since joining Manchester United. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but look, I don't think either one of us are crying for England in terms of the talent that they are bringing and the talent that they have. Uh, it, however, it, it, there, it, 
if if Harry Kane were to get hurt, and I don't want anybody to hurt, get hurt, like I said, I want the best players there. It it does get a little it does get a little dicey when when it comes to that. And you know, a guy like Maguire and and these types of players, uh, while you know the American soccer f- fan base out there is concerned about someone like Aaron Long starting, given his propensity to uh, to make mistakes and just the lack of confidence that people have, especially of late watching him. The Maguire thing is the same. And while there are there are there are teams that are going to play the U.S. that would love nothing more than for Aaron Long to start, I think from us on the other side, we're looking at hey, there's a vulnerability when it comes to Maguire. But be careful because this is also a team that has been very very good at set pieces, and uh, they could come back to uh, to back to haunt us. Although this is not a team that that we've found has really gone for the juggler. juggler. This is not a team that goes for that second and third goal, and that, which means that you can hang around. You can hang around with this team. So if and when the U.S. is playing in this, uh, in this World Cup on that Black Friday against England, if the U.S. were to go down a goal, it's certainly not the end of the world, as opposed to some teams where they just close up shop and they just can't physically or mentally handle going down and having to chase the game. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about young stars. Um, England do have a few candidates to be breakout players in this tournament. Jude Bellingham, I'm excited to watch in the midfield. Guys like Bukayo Saka and Phil Foden. So, yeah, I mean, the talent is there. I'm still a big Marcus Rashford fan. I, he might be a little too old at this point to count as a breakout player, but uh, I still think he's he can be a real impact guy there. So, yeah, I mean, that, like I said, the talent is there for sure. The, the most talented team in this group. All right. Uh Speaking of uh, of talent, we, like we said, we're gonna okay, we're gonna hold off on the on the U.S. But England is going to play their first game against Iran. Now, this is a team in in flux to a certain extent when it comes to Iran for a number of different reasons. We know that uh, they fired the coach and they brought back Carlos Quiroz, and that in and of itself is a familiarity and I guess a comfort level, at least for the federation. We'll see when it comes to. Uh, the teams. They are also dealing with a whole lot of off-field stuff that is going uh, going on right now. Uh, Sardar Moon, the uh, potential striker, number nine, right now both coming off of an injury and maybe more problematic is uh, now, I guess, uh, in trouble, if you will, with the Federation and with the country, uh, ultimately, for some of his comments relative to some of the human rights abuses that are going on in his uh, in country. So well done for him in terms of speaking out and drawing attention to this. But the cost uh, when you play for a team uh, like Iran and a country uh, and from a country like Iran is potentially being left off going forward uh, from the team, not for anything that you did in terms of a soccer perspective, not for anything uh, that you're experiencing from a physical perspective, but the things that you do and say that in in this case, your country would look uh, look down on. So that's a lot of off-field stuff that is going on. But don't think for a second that that doesn't inform what is going on uh, on the field. Having said all of that, this is a team that we have seen um, can be good. But this is a team that, from a U.S. perspective, I think the U.S. should beat them. From an England per- perspective, certainly the first game against Iran, given the, the, the talent level and all the stuff that is going off the field, they should be licking their chops saying, we are going to go out and not only get three points, but we're going to st- score multiple goals and make it a very easy day. Yeah, the one player, uh, I, I mentioned him in one of our recent pods, and I want to reiterate it here, is Mehdi Taremi. 
very mm -hmm. good striker who scored five goals in the Champions League group stage for Porto. Last season was the second leading scorer in the Portuguese league behind only Darwin Nunez. So he's a player to watch uh, for sure. But yeah, overall, I agree with you. This is a team that the U.S. should expect to beat. Um, all right. Let's uh, go. Obviously, the U.S. is uh, the third team in the group here. And as I've said before, the U.S. should be looking at both Iran and Wales as winnable games. And that's six points out there. And so they don't have to necessarily rely on the England game, which I'm not saying they, they throw away by any stretch of the imagination. But that's the, you know, the, the big story when it comes to this U.S. team. Youngest team in the tournament with that uh, inexperience means that they're going to make mistakes. But also, as we've said before, a wonderful swagger. And um, I was with Greg Berhalter yesterday, and he could not wait to, for the whistle to blow. I was looking at a man who is done with all the other stuff and the preparations, not, the, that, it, not that they're going to not use this week, but he just wants to get this, uh, get this thing going. Uh, let's go to uh, Wales, shall we, uh, Mossy here? This would be the third game for the U.S. This is a Wales team, as we know, that uh, is coming back uh, after decades and decades of being away. And while the the tendency is to look at them as just being happy to be there. That's not, I think that that's a dangerous way to approach it. But <laughs> from my perspective, they're just happy to be here. And they are just excited to be back at the World Cup. It is going to be a celebration. This is not the best Wales team that we have ever seen. This is certainly not an unbeatable Wales team when it comes to a U.S. Uh, perspective. Uh, they have you know, players that we will know, whether it's a Bale or a Ramsey, they will have players that we that we don't know. Somebody just a, a second ago was asking me on Twitter about who the U.S. is going to start. And, you know, I talked about this Wales team that will gladly concede possession. They recognize that they don't necessarily want to have the ball. And usually when you do that, it's because um, either you're not good at possession or you recognize that the space that opens up when you give the opposition uh, possession is something that you can exploit. Uh, while they have speed on their team, I would not put them in the category of being speed merchants and collectively any a team speed that is just ridiculous and crazy. And this question on Twitter was relative to potentially starting Ream. And some of the concern there is over the top and the speed and that kind of factor. So ultimately, uh, Mossy, thoughts on this Wales team that comes back after 50-some years uh, away from the World Cup? Well, it's actually 64 years. Their last appearance 64, was there we go. 1958. Uh, they went out in the quarterfinals to eventual champions Brazil. 1-0 uh, Brazil win. The goal scored by Pele, his first career World Cup goal. So when Wales concede a goal in this World Cup, it'll be whoever scores. It will be the first player to score a World Cup goal against Wales since Pele in 1958. How, how about that for a little historical nugget? Wow. I mean, what a surprise that you worked something Brazil <laughs> into it. Perfect. But yeah, I mean, you said it. I don't think this is an overly impressive team. Um, Brennan Johnson is a player I like up front. Um, so yes, I'll have to be careful with him. Uh, but I mean, a lot of this, you know, the same way we talked about Senegal and Sadio Mane, a lot of this comes down to Gareth Bale, who did remind us again in MLS Cup, he does have a flair for the dramatic. Uh, and we all kind of think that he's been saving himself for this World Cup. And so that would be my only concern from a U.S. perspective. Wales do have a player that who is capable of winning the match on his own. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I have uh, for them. Yeah. And they have, you know, 
they have different looks that they can throw at the U.S. The Kiefer Moore, the six-five striker, uh, so that can you know that can cause challenges for any team, including uh, including the U.S. But as I said before, this should be a team that the U.S. looks to beat. All right, can the U.S. be beaten by Wales? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody's at this tournament just to make up the numbers. Nobody is at this tournament that is not there uh, because they, you know, they don't have any quality. This is a quality team. But relative to other teams, and by the way, other teams that the U.S. has faced in group stage at previous tournaments, this is a much more winnable game than other teams that the U.S. has faced in the, uh, in the group stage. Um, okay, shall we, uh, shall we move on, Mossy? Yep. Uh, that is basically uh, the first two groups, right? We've done A and B. When we come back, we're going to take a real quick break. We're going to do groups C and D. So don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. And uh, as we uh, mentioned, we are going through these groups here and just giving you a little top line type of synopsis of what these teams are and to a certain extent what these teams aren't that we are going to see now here in a mere few days. We're in a group C, as we uh, know, Argentina's group with uh, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Well, we'll start with Argentina. This is Mossy's pick to win the World Cup. Uh, we know that this is a incredibly balanced Argentina team. We know that this is a team that has checked that, that box that uh, they were seeking in terms of winning a major trophy, winning Copa America, not only winning Copa America, but beating Brazil in the Maracanã in, uh, in the Copa America. This is a team that has a you know, generational type of player and arguably the GOAT when it comes to Messi playing at as good a level as we have seen in a long time without any type of drama, either individual or collectively from a team behind the scenes. And that's not always the case when it comes to Argentina. This is a well-coached team. This is a team, I think, that does not defer simply to Messi and let him do everything because they are surrounded by talent and they have kind of spread the work out with everybody. And I think the, the excitement and the confidence that people have in this Argentina team, as is reflected by Mossy and so many others picking them to win the World Cup, I think is completely justified and fair right now. I don't think that they will have any problems getting out of the group or any problems in their three group games, but it also doesn't mean that Argentina are just going to blow everybody away and win 4 nothing every single game. Um, they did suffer a sneaky big injury loss in Giovanni Lo Celso, who is an important player in the midfield, a player that Messi had a nice chemistry with, so they're going to have to replace him. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it, it's just a very impressive squad. The way Julian Alvarez has emerged uh, with Manchester City this season, so they, now they have an understudied to Lautaro Martinez up front, Angel Di Maria, obviously Messi. Um, at the back, even guys like Lisandro Martinez and Christian Romero, Emiliano Martinez in goal. So I think the pieces are there. This is the best team Messi's ever uh, had at a World Cup. They're unbeaten in 35, uh, gained a lot of confidence from uh, that Copa America triumph, beating Brazil in the final. Uh, and yeah, I, they're my pick to win it. I, I, I remain convinced of that. Uh, I think uh, the stars are aligning here. And, uh, so, and certainly they're going to roll through this group. I, I think they, they win probably all three of the games. Uh, sitting, like you said, on a 35-game uh, win streak. My Un unbeaten goodness. streak. Unbeaten streak. Sorry, uh, yeah. sorry, unbeaten streak. Two away from tying Italy's record. Excuse me. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, to you and, and you're sticking with Argentina, right? Uh, you're, I am, like I said, I think South America's due. I think it'll be either Brazil or Argentina. It's pretty much a toss up between those two, but I slightly lean Argentina. Do you think that this is Messi's last World Cup? I do. You do? Yeah. I mean, obviously he'd be, what, 39 years old, which is an unprecedented. I mean, it certainly can happen. And he has taken care of his body and he hasn't really missed a beat or, or, or slowed down. Yes, he's a little bit different in terms of he's much more of a, a, a creator and a provider than a finisher um, at this point for Argentina. But <laughs> even in that capacity, he's... Godly. First game will be against Saudi Arabia, and I am looking for many goals. I am looking for a comprehensive win when it comes to Argentina against uh, Saudi Arabia. This is a team, uh, again, like uh, like Qatar, where the entire team plays in Saudi Arabia. That's, you know, can be good, again, for familiarity and for organizational purposes, but also sometimes it gives them a false sense of security. Um, and you know, within the the qualifying situation, again, not playing against higher quality competition, and at, and at a point when they do, they look very very uh, defensive. I think that this is going to be a situation, especially that first game against Argentina, where Saudi Arabia pulls back, bunkers in, hopes for the best in terms of countering, and really challenges Argentina to figure out a way to break them down. Uh, yeah, they've only advanced past the group stage of a World Cup once before, and it was actually in the United States in 1994. You might recall in one of their games against Belgium in that tournament, they scored one of the great goals in World Cup history, the, this almost Maradona 86 England-type goal where a player dribbled the length of the field. Um, but yeah, since then, they've never gotten out of the group, and I think that streak will continue here. I don't, I don't see them putting up much of a fight in this opening game against Argentina, nor being much of a threat to get out of this group. And, you know, their head coach, Hervé Renard, he's well-traveled. He's uh, been a coach of different, uh, different teams. But he has really kind of taken to this job and really endeared himself uh, to the players and to Saudi Arabia. And, you know, even living there and scouting there, as opposed to other coaches who have kind of come in um, from, different, uh, from different places. And you'll, you'll recognize him. Probably the, the best-looking coach in the uh, in the World Cup, just this wonderful hair and these these shirts with a couple of buttons undone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I have a man crush on him uh, because he's he looks really really uh, really really cool. Um, anything else uh, Saudi Arabia wise, Mossy? That's it. Okay, uh, let's move on to our friends El Tri, Mexico. Uh, we know them well. We love them to a certain extent. Um, they are coming into this World Cup, and I cannot think of a time when there has been less confidence and enthusiasm for a Mexico team. Now, that might play to their advantage because it means that there's, to a certain extent, less pressure on them, but it's still Mexico. And once the World Cup kind of arrives and kicks off, and there will be plenty of Mexican fans, by the way, traveling. I already saw some in the airport even when I was uh, coming in. So they're all, all starting to get here. And we remember, we remember uh, back, in, um, back in, in Russia, in Moscow. I mean, <laughs> they were everywhere, the Mexican uh, fans. So they will have support. But I think there's much more of a, a folded arm type of approach to a lot of the, uh, the fans when it comes to what this team is. And ultimately... 
Tata Martino, we know you can talk about development, you talk about Gold Cups, you can talk about Nations League, you can talk about qualifying, all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, he is there to get them to that fifth game, which uh, is huge in terms of history and problematic in terms of not having been there since, uh, what is it, 1986. You know, it's interesting. Um, we talk about their seven straight round of 16 exits uh, from a negative standpoint, their inability to get to that fifth game. But if we're just talking about getting out of a group, you could spin that positively. Mexico and Brazil are the only two countries to reach the knockout stage of the last seven World Cups. So they have shown this ability to get out of their group at World Cups, which is, you know, you look at some of the groups over the years that it's been tough and yet they always figure out a way. So, yeah, I mean, you look at that here. It's why, you know, on paper, I, w- I would think Argentina and Poland, and we're going to get to Poland in a, in a minute, would be the favorites. But I'm hesitant to discount Mexico just because they have shown this ability um, to advance, at least from their World Cup groups. But yeah, looking at the squad, uh, some notable omissions. Uh, Santi Jimenez, who I thought would be on there, is not. Uh, Diego Lainez. He did bring Raul Jimenez, who has been battling injuries. It's unclear whether he's going to be fit enough to start games uh, in Qatar. Uh, they lost, obviously, Tecatito, but Chucky Lozano is there. Uh, there's plenty of experience in the midfield at the back, guys like Guardado and Hector Moreno. You've got Edson Alvarez. There are some good players. It's, it, there, there's enough there to put together a pretty decent starting 11. But you're right. Just the way they've played, it's been so uninspired for most of this cycle that uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of excitement surrounding this Mexico team. Yeah, I'm excited about Mexico. And first off, Mossy, I think you're you're dumbing it down for them. And that's part of the problem. Yes, they get out of the group, okay? And I know for, for many teams, including the U.S. at times, that's kind of the first moment and checked box of a successful World Cup. But ultimately, this is about winning the World Cup. And so at some point, it just can't be acceptable to only get out of the group and then call it a day. So I think that Mexico, whether... Whether it's fair or not for them to expect, they expect their teams to do better than in the past. They, exp- they think that they're more than just four games or just getting out of the group. And I, and I, as much as it pains me, I admire that. I admire that that fan base says, no, it's no longer enough for us just to be happy about getting out of the group. Getting to a World Cup should not be that big a deal. Getting out of the group stage should not be that big a deal. We'll talk about some teams here in the future that are so confident of getting out of their group that they're bringing players that aren't even going to play in the group stage. I mean, that's that's the next level of thinking. And while Mexico, from a, from a uh, talent perspective, might not quite be there, at some point you do have to change your mindset about what you equate with uh, with with success. I also disagree with you in that I think you have Argentina and Poland coming out. I have Argentina and Mexico coming out. I have this being a uh, a successful World Cup ultimately when it comes to Mexico. And when I say successful, because I am more of a El Tri purist, I say not just getting out of the group, but Tata Martino takes them to that promised land and gets gets them to that fifth game. Uh, I did not say I have Argentina and Poland. What I said was, is that even if on paper you thought those were the two best teams, the fact that Mexico has advanced from their group in each of the last seven World Cups would give you pause in discounting them. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty torn on the Mexico-Poland thing. Actually, I would probably lean Mexico gun in my head, to be honest, being that second team. All right. Well, well, you mentioned Poland because it, it, that's, it's completely justifiable for people to, to look at 
at Poland, I think. I, I don't think it's justifiable necessarily for people to look at Saudi Arabia to, to go through. But we all know that in a tournament situation, all sorts of stuff can happen. And the best laid plans go out the window very, very quickly. Having said that, uh, let's switch to, uh, to Poland here. This is a, a Poland team that obviously a lot of focus will be on Robin Lomodowski. I mean, one of the great strikers in history. And they recognize that when you have one of the great strikers in history who is wonderful in the box, great timing, great finishing, and he's not just a poacher, okay? He can do a lot of other things. But when you got a guy like him in the box, getting service in is important. And this is a team that was born for the cross. This is a team that loves getting the ball out wide and firing it in, whether it's deep or early crosses. They live and die with this direct play, this early cross type of, uh, of mentality that they are. They're not just Robert Lewandowski, all right? Szymanski and Chesney and goal, and, and you know the list goes uh, on and on and on. Having said that, this is not an elite team by any stretch of the imagination. No, and very disappointing in the last World Cup. Exited at the group stage. Lewandowski didn't score, so he's got a point to prove. Um, I do love Zielinski in the midfield. He's been a part of this great Napoli start to this season, so there are some other good players there. Milik as well up front might be able to take some of the scoring load off Lewandowski's shoulders, but I think it mostly comes down to him. I'm very excited for the Argentina-Poland game because there's a little bit of bad blood between Messi and Lewandowski. Lewandowski was bitter that Messi won the Ballon d'Or, uh, over him in 2021 and made that clear. Uh, so there, there might be a little bit of extra juice in that game between those two. Um, so yeah, we'll see if Poland, I think, like I said, it's, it's, it's kind of a jump ball between Mexico and Poland. I probably light, slightly lean Mexico to be that second team out of this group, but Poland will be right there as well. Did you see this story? And you know, as, as the World Cup progresses, all of these at times crazy, but really interesting different stories, some of them having to do with what's going on on the field and many of them having to do not even necessarily with on the field. Did you see the story about Robert Lewandowski's personal security guard that was fired by the uh, Polish Federation for potentially being involved in a, an organized crime connection? It's, it's just, it's, it's crazy. But these are the types of things. This will not be the last type of story that, that go, makes you go, wow, this is this is a little bit, a uh, little bit strange. So, anyway, uh, anything else Poland-wise, Mossy? That's it. That's it. All right, let's go to Group D: France, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. All right, we'll start off with uh, with France, the defending World Cup champions. Uh, we know that history is not kind to defending World Cup champions. As a matter of fact, history, history can be incredibly cruel after you have won the World Cup for any number of reasons. Sometimes it's a generation just was in the perfect moment and it's gotten long in the tooth and certainly isn't what it was four years before. Uh, sometimes it can just be trying to recapture that magic that is sprinkled at times during a World Cup and it just doesn't happen. And sometimes it's just bad luck and the soccer gods saying, well, I'm not going to let you go through here because uh, you messed up here. The interesting thing when it comes to France, and I back them not only to, uh, to do well, but to absolutely get out of the group and buck some of that trend, is that the generation that we talked about four years ago has only gotten better. I don't even think four years ago we looked at them as, quote unquote, being in that prime. And so therefore, Many of them, even though they've, they've suffered some injuries here, they have replenished, uh, they have restocked, and that generation that was young for winning a World Cup has now come to fruition and is 
some in some cases, uh, definitely in their prime. I think the biggest problem or challenge will be digging down and re uh, accessing, if you will, that magic dust that enabled them to win the World Cup uh, four years ago. Because it's sometimes when it's gone, it, it literally dissipates and and you know melts into the ether when you get on that plane and the World Cup is over. Uh, general thoughts on uh, France, Mossy? It was interesting. Originally, Didier Deschamps only named 25 players, which was a bit of a head-scratcher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he has since added a 26. Marcus Turan, who's uh, enjoying an excellent season with Gladbach, uh, he's been added. So another player in that attack that includes Mbappe and Benzema, Ousmane Dembele, Nkunku, Griezmann. It really is an embarrassment of riches up there. Even Olivier Giroud, who didn't score in the last World Cup, but is... Uh, right on the heels of Thierry Henry on the verge of becoming France's all-time leading scorer, if you can believe that. Um, so no issues up front and no issues at the back. As a matter of fact, they called uh, a bunch of different center backs, which screams back three. I think you're going to see some combination of with Varane and Upamecano and William Saliba and Koundé. Uh, they did lose Kimpembe to injury, but nevertheless, I think you're going to see France play with a back three um, and wing backs, you know, some combination of Pavard and Lucas Hernandez, Teo Hernandez back there. The one question would be the midfield is where they took a hit because of injuries. They lost both Pogba and N'Golo Kante. Um, there are some players in there I like. Chouameni, who I've talked about a lot, uh, got, got off to a great start at Real Madrid. Wasn't that good the last few weeks for them. Kamavinga made the squad. Fofana, Monaco player, very talented. But there's not a lot of experience in that midfield. So that's the one area where people are looking at as a potential Achilles heel in this incredibly talented squad. All right, uh, let's go on to uh, Australia, which will be their uh, their first game. There have been, at times, good Australia teams at the World Cup. Uh, there have never been great Australia teams. This is neither a great Australia team, and even, some may argue, not even a good Australia team. But they are at the World Cup. Uh, congratulations to them. Uh, welcome to the World Cup, and now you get to you get to face in the first game at the World Cup, the defending uh, defending champions. Um, this is an Australia team that I think potentially could lose. Well, certainly they can lose to Denmark, and they can lose to France, and maybe get a point against Tunisia. Anything more than that, I think, is going to be gravy. I don't think that they go uh, that they go on. They have. Um, you know, players that you have heard of, whether it's Matt Ryan, Aaron Moy, uh, Matthew Leckie, but this is not a great team, ultimately. This is also not a team from a stylistic perspective that makes you say, wow, I really want to watch them play. I know I'm not setting them up for anything but but failure, and you know, if they if they prove me wrong, great, but I do not have high hopes for this Australia team. Well, if you watch the Intercontinental Playoff against Peru, you might be familiar with Andrew Redmayne, the dancing bear uh, yes. goalkeeper. But yeah, no, I agree with you. They haven't gotten out of a World Cup group since 2006. You might recall that World Cup. They went out to Italy in the round of 16 in controversial fashion. That Fabio Grosso penalty decision. Italy, of course, went on to win that tournament. Since then, Australia has not made it past the group stage of a World Cup. And I think that drought continues here. Let's go to what a lot of people are calling a dark horse. Having said that, I mean, Denmark is a incredibly well-balanced team. We saw how good they were in the uh, last Euros. They are coming in with, I think, rightfully a lot 
of promise and a lot of confidence. How good ultimately do you think that this team is? And, you know, they have names, Christian Eriksen and Christensen and um, Hoiberg and these types of uh, these types of players. Mossy, when people are talking about this team as a dark horse, do you think it is you think it is justified? I do. The names actually don't jump out in a Belgium sort of way. This is not a country that's had this incredible golden generation, but it's a collection right. of good, solid players that plays very well together. They reached the semifinals of the Euros. Uh, they blitzed through qualifying, did pretty well in the most recent Nations League. Um, so, no, I think they're ready to go. Ericsson is the feel-good story of this tournament. I mean, it's just so great to see him playing in a World Cup after what happened in the last major tournament he took part in. Um, so yeah, I buy it. Uh, I think this is actually one of the easiest groups to pick. I'd be flabbergasted if France and Denmark aren't the two teams that come out of this. I will say though, that order is very important because, uh, this group is crisscrossed with the Argentina group, which we both think Argentina is going to win. So whoever finishes second in this between France and Denmark, and it'll probably come down to their head to head game against each other. Uh, would then get Argentina in the round of 16. So that's the only thing that, you know, if we're talking about Denmark going far in the tournament, you have to factor in that if they don't win their group, they probably get Argentina in the round of 16, which, you know, would be a tough, tough ask. All right. Shall we uh, finish it up here with Tunisia? Yep. Uh, again, uh, this is a Tunisia team that I think is going to struggle for points. They struggle to create chances, let alone to finish chances. I think that they are going to, at times, park the bus and take whatever uh, the game will give them, the Eagles of Carthage, as they get uh, ready to go. Not without talent, but I just think that their inability to generate much when it comes going forward is always going to be a, a problem. But they're going to be compact. They're going to be hard to break down. And that's what you kind of have to do to survive when you are a team that doesn't have the individual talent uh, or the collective confidence to be more expansive. Uh, they are feisty. Uh, Brazil played a friendly against them in the last window in Paris, and it was a very ill-tempered affair. Uh, but yeah, they've never advanced from a World Cup group, and uh, I don't think that's going to happen this time around. All right. Anything else uh, about uh, Group D? I got France and Denmark coming out. Do you have a? Do you have uh, Australia or Tunisia? <laughs> no, a like I said, surprise here. This is. Do this you is have, a, which one do you have first, though? Uh, I'm gonna say France figured out a way to top the group. So Denmark finished second. We get Argentina, Denmark in the round of 16. I agree with you. Does uh, does Australia or Tunisia get any points? Uh, yeah, they, they, they play, play they, other, right? yeah, they play a draw to, to a draw against each other. <laughs> okay, there we go. They share the points and there we go. So they, they can go <laughs> with a point. All right. Uh, we will do, uh, the rest of the groups on, uh, the, uh, following pod, pod this week. And like I said, this is just a, a primer. Uh, we're not going deep into the weeds as we go along and, you know, the best laid plants, right? for both the, the teams on the field and media off the field. You think this is going to happen. You see this, you see that. And then the games start and players emerge, trends emerge that you could have anticipated or you didn't an an anticipate. We all know that the, you know, this magic Brigadoonish type of experience that is a World Cup, it just it glitters over everything and it can cloud all of your perceptions that you come into. So just be... 
be able to bob and weave as we go forward. All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, oh, it's time for Ask Alexi. We've got some interesting questions, I think, from the hotline. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask, Ask Alexi out there on all the different social media platforms. And keep in mind that as we get ready for this World Cup, all of our social media platforms are, uh, uh, what do we call them? Uh, our, our names? We're not our names. <laughs> all of our handles, excuse me, are S-O-T-U with Alexi. But we also have our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is just, blazing right now and the more people that, that call in the better because we get to kind of hear your voice and hear your personality uh, we love the, the you know the, the uh the social media things too but it's been really fun to actually hear uh some of the questions and to hear like i said some of the personalities at 657-549-2297 657-549-2297 mossy what do we got this week uh, we're going to begin with a uh, voicemail. Let's hear it. Hey, Alexi, David. This is your friend Paul from San Diego. As I recall, four years ago during the World Cup, podcast was going along great, and then it just went dark. I didn't hear anything. You didn't call. You didn't write. I hate to sound like a, uh, a crazy ex-girlfriend, but are you going to keep doing the podcast this year during the World Cup? I need to know. I planned my commute around this. Don't leave me hanging, fellas. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Go USA. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Paul. First off, thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. And I suppose thank you for your reaction to not having the State of the Union in your life. Uh, I can allay your fears. State of the Union will be not only continuing to function, but we are adding content. There will be daily Doha tales, if you will, very you know small, brief synopsises of what has gone on on the field and some of the things off the field. And then we will have our normal shows. So like I said, daily reaction pods, but much shorter. Um, our picks pod that is coming out uh, on Sunday, we will have that where we uh, go through and have our picks in terms of who's winning games and who's coming out and all that kind of stuff. We did a little bit of that today, but much more down and dirty when it comes to the actual games. And we'll have three longer pods when we get started through the uh, knockout uh, to the knockout rounds. And you don't have to worry about going anywhere else because it's all going to appear on your feed. And so to your point, Paul, you will have plenty of ta- uh, of content when it comes and talent, I think, <laughs> uh, of content when it comes to the World Cup that we will be getting out there. Because look, this is this is a big thing, and it's going to generate a lot of interesting stories, and we want to be all over them. Uh, we want to make sure we get a daily dose, if you will, to be able to react and give that to you, uh, but also continue on uh, with the with the shows. As we've heard, Mossy's heading over. Uh, tomorrow. So we will both be in country and be able to uh, do it together at times and do some interesting things uh, going forward. So that's a good thing. I'm excited about this, Mossy. Are you? I am, but uh, I do recall us doing some podcasts four years ago. So I think Paul is misremembering. I remember taping one from Gorky Park. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. So. It wasn't as consistent as we as we would have liked. And look, this is this is all a work in progress for all of us. And we're trying to, to figure it out. We have incredible uh, men and women that work uh, behind the scenes to make us look halfway <laughs> good. And it's not an easy job. But we've also 
ratcheted up uh, many notches when it comes to the amount of people that we have, the amount of people from digital that we will have in country. And they do uh, wonderful, wonderful jobs, like I said. And their job is to make sure that we are feeding the beast. And I use that in the, in the kindest sense. You are our beast and we want to make sure that you are fed so that uh, you don't kill us. <laughs> All right. What else do we have, Mossy? Another voicemail. Let's hear it. Hey, Alexi and Mossy. This is Gary in Louisville. Uh, so Tuesday night, I was uh, out for a walk listening to some uh, tunes on Napster, and I ran across this new hot track called Red, White, and Denim. And it kind of made me harken back to uh, some melancholy, uh, uh, nostalgic-type feels similar to what I get when I'm listening to, like, uh, Summer of 69 by Brian Adams or maybe uh, Glory Days uh, by, by The Boss. So I got to hear from the artist's mouth himself. Uh, what was the inspiration behind it? You know, what was it that now was the time to write this song? Uh, thanks for all you guys do. Uh, have a great uh, Thanksgiving and uh, enjoy the World Cup. Thanks. Well, thank you, Gary. Uh, first off, for listening. I didn't know Napster existed uh, anymore, in, but I guess you, I guess it's you can you can it's legal now. But either way, it doesn't matter. Uh, however you get the music, that is great. As Gary mentioned, yes, I do have a new album out for all three of my fans, now including Gary, so maybe it's four. Uh, and I, I include my mother in that, uh, in that group. It's called Melt Away. You can find it on all the different platforms out there, all the different streaming platforms. Gary found it on Napster. You can find it on Spotify and Apple Music and all that, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's, re- he's referencing one of the tracks, which is called Red, White, and, uh, and Denim. And it is a, I think he, I think he actually pegged it right. And I think the feel that he is getting was intended. And I'm a little reticent to, to explain songs because I've always felt that any artist that puts out any piece of art to the public, you, you give that. And therefore anybody's reaction to that is as legitimate as whatever your initial intended, um, goal was with whatever piece of music or in this case in, or any type of art that you put out so i mean i can tell you that it is kind of about yes a nostalgia and yes a not a grumpy old man but a looking back of what we and when i say we maybe it's probably of our country and what we are now but also there's there's an element of hope as to where uh, we are going and undeniable in terms of a, of a blatant connection. I only use that reference of red, white, and denim, not even remotely in the soccer sense, um, because, you know, the, the denim, which has become, you know, so synonymous with, well, America, and obviously in 1994, having, uh, having worn that, I just thought it, it, it sounded interesting, and it was a little bit different, and it made it kind of distinct from you know, other words uh, that I could have used. But I'm glad that you enjoy it. I'm glad that uh, you are listening to it. It's straight ahead pop rock. I, my quest for the perfect pop song continues. Like I said, 10 songs is about a half an hour. You can crank it up in your car, put the windows down, drive really, really fast. And uh, for those that have reached out and listened, first off, thank you <laughs> for, for doing that. Any artist would be appreciative of anybody accessing any type of art there and there's so much art out in the world uh right now and so much music out there in the world so i appreciate it and we'll 
you know, we, we will send you off here at the end of the uh, show with a little snippet of, uh, of the album. And like I said, anybody that accesses it, thank you uh, so much for doing that. I really appreciate it, including Gary from, uh, from Louisville. Uh, I have a Mossy, mu- anything else? Yeah, I have a music note of my own today. Um, okay. okay. On Friday, my favorite rapper, Nas, released a new album called King's Disease 3, and it is absolutely outstanding. I've been listening to it nonstop. I've been texting with a colleague of ours, Ryan Hamilton, about it. Nas is 49 years of age. It is incredible how fresh he still sounds, still on top of his game. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that used to go years without putting out an album, and he's had this late career burst of motivation. He hooked up with this producer, Hit Boy, and he's released four albums in the last two years, and they've all been excellent. Uh, so I had music on the brain the last few days, too. I can't, if you're a rap fan, hip hop fan, like good lyricism, uh, I can't recommend this album enough. Outstanding. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, okay, let's uh, take another quick break. When we come back, it is the end of our show, and I'll give you my one for the road. Don't worry. All right, we're back. Hope you appreciated that little detour into some uh, some music stuff there. Nas for Mossy, and then my new album, Melt Away, which is out. Okay, uh, it is the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. For those that have been paying attention, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's going through an interesting time <laughs> in his life and in his career right now. And uh, as we are coming on air here, the latest interview that he has done with Piers Morgan, uh, has dropped, and it is on fire right now in terms of what Cristiano Ronaldo is saying. And much of it is very, very honest and upfront, and that's something that you want from an interview. And it's, to a certain extent, incredibly inflammatory in terms of this player who already was having problems, but he takes down the hierarchy when it comes to Manchester United takes them to task for what they haven't done, the way that they have treated him, the lack of progress um, when it comes to the infrastructure of uh, of the club, both on and off the field, takes down uh, Ten Hagen uh, in terms of the coach and the way that he has treated him, and so much so that I don't think there's a way back. Now, I will say this. If you're going to take a swing at somebody, and this was multiple swings, and blatant swings. You shouldn't run away after you do that. And that this dropped as he is heading off to what he's got to feel is safer and greener pastures of Portugal in the World Cup. I think that's a little lame. And look, I, as the kids say, I stand for, uh, uh, for Cristiano Ronaldo. But in this case, it, I mean, and, and don't think for a second that this wasn't by design. I don't think that there's any coming back. This is scorched earth type of stuff. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they find a way to ultimately work it out. And maybe his play with Portugal in the World Cup changes the dynamic and the perception over there. But I don't think that if you are a club, and certainly a club the size of Manchester United, that you can abide by this, that you can let this go. Even as big as Cristiano Ronaldo is, this is beyond the pale. And I don't see a way back for Cristiano Ronaldo when it comes to Manchester, which may in and of itself be something that he's wanted all along. And this is just pushing along something that was inevitable. If you get a chance, check it out. There's there's too many quotes here, but ultimately it is, as Piers Morgan or any interview would want, 
an explosive and incredibly um, honest and provocative, provocative type of interview. And that's why it's getting so much attention. That's why it's getting so many clicks. And that's exactly what anybody, including Piers Morgan, uh, would want. Mossy, any thoughts on, uh, on that before we go? Again, the issue is finding a club that wants him. Uh, I think United would have been happy to see him go in the summer, but nobody really stepped up. Uh, his agent, Georges Mendes, offered him around all over Europe, and nobody was interested. And why would it be any different in January, uh, particularly since Ronaldo still wants to be relevant, still wants to play for a top club that's competing for major trophies in the Champions League. So it makes it tougher. If he was willing to sort of take a step down at this point in his career, it might be a bit easier to find a destination for him. So that's still going to be what this thing is going to come down to. I agree with you. The relationship is broken at this point. So the best thing for everybody would be for him to leave, but you still have to find somewhere for him to go. Uh, and I, I'll just say on the World Cup quickly, and we'll preview Portugal's group in our next pod. Uh, but if Ronaldo were to score at this World Cup, he'd be the first male player to score in five different World Cups. And he'd be the second oldest scorer in World Cup history behind only Roger Mila uh, for Cameroon in 1994. Awesome. He's scoring in the World Cup. Don't even think for a second he's not scoring. He's scoring multiple goals. Uh, all right. Listen, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for bearing with us here as we... Uh, start off our, our, our pod. Mossy's going to join me here in a few days uh, on the ground here at Doha. It, it's been incredible here so far, and it's really been interesting to see the way that the city has changed, and even in the days that I've been here, as more and more people show up, how much it changes. And I can't wait. I cannot wait for this World Cup to kick off on, uh, on Sunday. We'll have another pod out later on in the week. As Mossy said, we will uh, do the other groups and talk about some other things because the stories are going to come fast and furious as we get closer and closer to that kickoff of Qatar and Ecuador, which is the first game of the 2022 FIFA World Cup here in Qatar. And that will be on Sunday on FS1. All right, Mossy, anything else? That's it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for reviewing and writing and subscribing and sending us your tweets and uh, uh, using that hashtag Ask Alexi and obviously using the State of the Union podcast hotline, which again is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. We will talk again later on this week from Doha. And until then, and as always, size the day. Out in the cold, falling behind, trying to keep up with the changing times. And looking ahead is bringing me down. Is it me or is it just this town? And as we try to find our way, I remember yesterday when we were red, white, and denim. We were growing up so fast Yeah, we were red, white and denim But those colors didn't last They didn't last yet Down. Yeah, we hide it away just so we can live to 
Didn't last. They didn't last. 